1: <laughs> Very spooky.
0: Howdy. Hi. I hope. hi ho Your
2: arm pumping made me think of. Snow White. I know. I really did get in there. There is a lawnmower situation happening outside of my uh, apartment, and I've moved locations twice to try to find a place where it wasn't loud, but uh, unfortunately it is. And so we are going to have some uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation going on through, <laughs> you know, it's a spooky a little, vibe.
0: Yeah. Bonus soundtrack to the mm, back of this episode. Not I think even the best planned. part of. This situation is that you looked out your window and you were like, there's not even grass. And they're just going over your dirt patch with the lawn. Not her. even dirt. It's like sidewalk. I don't know, man. I don't know. As long as they get paid,
2: whatever. What if I'm secretly paying them just to add spooky ambiance to our
0: recording? Screw <laughs> <laughs> ripping soundtracks from YouTube. <laughs> we can just get it live. Oh, natural. Oh, natural. Well, this is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one
2: ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. And I'm Sabrina.
0: And this is an Encounters episode. Yes, and we're recording this, so you might see a few of these if you're on our Patreon. Yep. You could see a few of these stories read aloud via video on Patreon. I believe you are first this time. Okay, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to do two at a time because this isn't really a story, but when we had gone through our mail last time, we were just like pulling out different things that people wrote us. Mm -hmm. And I thought this had been a story, but actually it was just like a fun little fake backstory to our podcast that I wanted to read you. I think it's from Dana. I'm having a hard time reading the handwriting because it actually looks a lot like mine where it's like half normal, half cursive, (laughs) (laughs) but I liked it. Okay. Okay. So here's just like a story to set the mood. I love it. Back in time in another life, when your names were Karina and Safina, after a strange encounter with a ghost whose name was Sven, two girls began a weekly parlor room gathering with others who had also encountered the otherworldly. It was called Two Young Women, One Spectre. Oh? Every Friday, folks would gather in the parlor and swap stories of the strange and spooky encounters they had. Karina and Safina vowed to return lifetime after lifetime and continue these sessions this is an actual picture of them which i don't have on me (laughs) of course you know what i'm getting at karina and safina were later known as corinne and sabrina (gasps) and Sven. well he's still Sven.
2: Sven. and then she just
0: signed her name and it was awesome (laughs) oh my god i got chills i want to i want to relive our old path five how fun like it just brings me back to every single time we say something cool, and we're like, "This could be a children's book." <laughs> like, I feel like we should make a children's book backstory to this—just life after life coming back and wow. gathering people for ghostly for tales, ghost stories, and the idea of us in a parlor, sitting, drinking—I know some
2: Tom Collins <laughs> or a hot toddy—and just sitting in like a dimly candlelit bar type of situation, talking mm-hmm. ghosts. I mean
0: doesn't get any better my favorite line is and Sven, well he's still Sven." yeah Spen. I, our ghost has a name now Sven. nice to meet you nice to meet you Sven. it's been a while it's been almost been three and a half years our half anniversary life. is on valentine's day oh my yeah gosh. in this life is this kind of no i guess the
2: episode that came out before this is our valentine's day episode yeah we missed our anniversary, anniversary
0: which ah! is typical yeah i feel like we usually do Okay, now there there's just sirens. One. So there's even more ambiance. Here we go. We're having a lot happen. They're coming for us. Okay, now I'll go first for real. This is from Jordan, who Jordan had sent you a poster a few years ago. Then mm-hmm. he sent me a poster of all of these witches. And then yes. he also is the illustrator, artist, expert, talented person that sent me the painted picture of oh my me being gosh. hugged in the nude by Bigfoot. The best thing that's ever come to life. Literally. Oh, okay. Uh, also, I'm going to just shout out his Etsy shop because he sent us so much. Silhouettes by Jordan. That's his, his Etsy shop if you want to look. And that's Great. where he sells both of the posters that we received. Ghosts in the graveyard is what you have in I have a gathering of witches. So fun. So he sent a few paranormal stories. He said, as far as personal stories with the supernatural, I don't have many despite being in two paranormal research groups, one in Connecticut and one in California, but I would quickly describe a few things that have happened to me. When we first moved into our home in Connecticut, I was about six at the time. One evening, my mom suggested that we use a Ouija board in an attempt to conjure any ghosties that might be living there. After a few minutes, the board spelled out the name Ralph Gage, a name none of us at the table were familiar with. We asked Ralph for a sign, and the next morning, we discovered a pair of antique candlesticks had been moved across the house and were now lying on the floor. We took the board out again and asked Ralph if he had moved the candlesticks, and he spelled out yes. We never used the board again after that, and to this day, my mom swears that she and my dad did not move the candlesticks. Wow. When I was in sixth grade, I was playing a game of jail with a... What's that game? I want to play that. Like cops and robbers, maybe? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. I was playing a game of jail with a bunch of friends one chilly November night. Jail was similar to hide-and-go-seek, except it was played in complete darkness with no flashlights. We were playing on a soccer field, and I hid behind one of the goals. The night sky in November in New England, as I'm sure you are well aware, Corinne, is a sight to behold, full of stars. Sigh. And now I'm homesick for autumn in New England. But I digress. I was gazing up at the sky when an object caught my eye, and to the left above the top of the mountain... I recall it was darker than the sky and shaped like a top hat, and all around the rim of the hat were colored lights like a Christmas tree flashing on and off, and it was just hovering there in complete silence. I don't know how long I stared at that thing until I finally got on my feet, yelled to my friends who'd been searching for me, and as soon as I did, it was as if the object knew I had spotted it. It zigzagged across the sky at a tremendous speed and was gone. (gasps) second page luckily one of the kids caught the tail end of it before it disappeared and he corroborated my story (laughs) always good to have another witness yeah when i got home and described what i'd seen to my parents my dad claimed that he had seen the same object the night before so whatever we had seen was curious about our small town enough to stay two nights i have seen ufos in california as well but nothing like i saw on that november evening back in the early 90s in 2002, shortly after college, I was visiting family friends in England, and we went on a ghost tour of York, so a very fun. historic and very haunted city. The tour ended at a pub. Ugh, I miss going to pub and bars. <laughs> Should we drink this episode? <laughs> it's like 12.30, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, it's 3.30 where I am, so. <laughs> the tour ended at a pub where we were led into a seance in the <gasps> upstairs room. The medium began to describe a woman who watches over me wherever I go, but I wasn't sure of who this woman could be. The details down to her orange blossom perfume. It was all foreign to me. When I called home and I told my parents, my father said that the description matched his mother, my grandmother, who died before I was born. She wore orange blossom perfume. Oh, chills. (gasps) My last encounter took place on the highway of all places when I was driving out to Los Angeles back in January of 2005. My then-girlfriend and I were somewhere in Tennessee, a light dusting of snow on the ground, when we came up on an old green Cadillac in the lane to the right. There were no other cars on this stretch of road. I passed the car, and I immediately checked my rear view and side mirrors, but the car was gone. There had been no bend in the road, no turnoff, nowhere for this car to have gone. It was literally there one moment and gone the next. My ex saw the same thing, and it was very eerie. Whoa. Anyway, those are the few things that have happened to me over the years. I hope you both have a fun and safe Halloween. I love the podcast. My cat, Sir Percival, and I have been avid listeners for a while, and I even started my own podcast with a friend last year called Spirits of Spirits. Oh, they get a drink. Oh, that's okay. We are doing it wrong. <laughs> we talk about haunted bars across America and the signature cocktails they serve. See you on the other side, Jordan. Wow. Okay, Jordan. That's not just a few experiences. That is quite a lot. So many. I know. I like that he was like, oh, I haven't really experienced that much, even though I'm in two paranormal groups. And then like went on to have two pages worth an alien encounter, like meeting his like basically his guardian angel, which is also his grandma, and yeah, and playing with a Ouija board, playing with a seance. Oh yeah,
2: and the seance, two separate things. But like. The Ouija board thing with and I'm I can't remember the ghost's name, Ralph or something like that. Ralph, yeah. I wonder if Ralph is connected to those antique candle
0: holders. Like what if those are what he came came with with the candle holders? It's possible. I mean, yeah. Or I I also wonder too if like, you know, maybe it's part we've talked about like coins and stuff and and Mm. metal being easier for spirits to manipulate. So perhaps maybe it was that. Or I do wonder too, if like the older an object is. If it's like some time in the frame that that person lived, if it's just like easier for them to manipulate objects, I'm totally making something up and speculating, but I'm that's what we do here. <laughs> that's, that's just what that's yeah. us. Here we are. And now we're gonna start drinking
2: because that sounds fun. And the way that Jordan described like walking into this pub and then all of a sudden it was a seance, I was like, oh, so this is what we could have been or this is what we were in our past lives. Safina and Karina, yes, up in the in the pub. And all of a sudden
0: all of a sudden it's a seance. Welcome. That's like I think the best entrance into a bar. You just went off of a ghost store and you're like, sweet, we're ending in this pub. We're gonna get a few beers, talk about what we may or may have not seen. And then it's like, enter, you're in a seance now. Enter. Seance. Now we're gonna connect with the spirits as <gasps> oh. if you didn't already likely see something or feel something before. The best. Literally. Wow. I'll make the name of that tour because I'm
2: trying to go. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, when life gets back to normal, I'm going to seek out
0: fun things like that all the time. Although, if you watched Surviving Death on Netflix, it made me really nervous about seances.
2: Well, I think we already have a nervousness about seances and connecting to the dead, but
0: I don't know. I think what was, like, a fear of connecting to the dead after watching that show was like a fear of maybe like not necessarily trusting the person who is connecting to the dead and Mm. potential for something else to be brought in.
2: Right, right. Well, that's why you have to
0: hone in your skills and you host the seance, Corinne. I freaking will. And actually (laughs) plug, I haven't done this, but TikTok yet again has introduced me to another meditation that's on YouTube. I think it's called connecting to your spirit guides, Ooh. something like that. It's like a forty-minute meditation, and Fun. people are coming out of it like crying and having seen like past lives and their spirit guides and like souls that they travel with and all this stuff. So I want to oh. try it, even though when I tried the other one, it didn't work. Well, you got to keep trying. I got to
2: keep trying. Got to work on my
0: meditation. Wow.
2: Okay, I have a story, and this is also a mail-in one. So this is from. Kristen, and got to unfold it. Here we go. It is called My Ghost Friend. On the night of February 4th of 1908, Alabama Girls Industrial School student Condi Cunningham and her roommate were making hot chocolate on a chafing dish in their room. When the curfew signal sounded, the young ladies began to clean up their items. In their rush, the container of alcohol that worked as fuel for the burner spilled over and onto Cunningham's nightgown. Her nightgown then caught fire, which caused her to panic. In an attempt to put out the fire, her roommate threw a rug on her, but it was to no avail. Two days later, on February 6th, Cunningham died in a hospital from her injuries. In the years following Cunningham's death, strange phenomena followed. Supposedly a face surrounded by flames appeared in the wood grain of her dorm room's door. It is said to have reappeared in a subsequent door on the main hall. This, coupled with accounts of hearing a woman running through the halls at night and screaming in the bathrooms, made residents of the room very uncomfortable. Eventually, the door was removed and the room was sealed off. The last door is kept in storage at the University of Montevallo archives, but is put on display in the library during the month of October for the spirit of Halloween. My encounters with Condi are very frequent. My campus, University of Montevallo, is home to many ghosts, too many to count, But Condi is the most active for me. I live in the same dormitory as she did all those years ago, and she doesn't let us forget her. Condi is a little mischievous. She often opens doors and moves personal items. And even if you aren't a believer, you will start to believe when you see a chemistry book rise on its own and then fall. (laughs) The residents (laughs) here have become very fond of her and simply ask her to quit it if we're not in the mood to play her games. Her ghostly footsteps have become a well-known lullaby for many in the hall. And many of us have grown fond of her, calling her our ghostly roommate. The following pictures are the original door where Condi resided. This image was ingrained on several doors. And still to this day, the image remains in main hall. And she has these pictures right here. If you can see the face. Oh, wait, those are two separate doors. Two separate doors. So I think this one is her original bedroom door. And then this is the main hall.
0: That really creeps me out because it's identical markings. I know. <gasps> ooh, ooh, I'm really I'm really creeped out now. Oh my God, what the fuck? It's just sad
2: though, because it's like, it's almost like she was ingrained into the building that she was, that she unfortunately caused her death, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I understand the marking coming up in the door of the dorm, of the room that she was in. Yeah. But for it to appear on another floor... It makes me wonder, like, why? Is it something with her yeah. energy, just like she's spending extra time there? Or-, or maybe that's as far as she can travel, or I don't know. Or is she marking, is she trying to mark and give warning that mm. something similar is going to happen in that Ooh. other room?
2: Corinne! <laughs>
0: <laughs> that evil laugh.
2: <laughs> I don't know. It's it's curious because we've heard stories like this before. Isn't there another university where there's like the faces on the outside of the building? And I think you talked about it. Yes. But it's so interesting. It's almost like, don't forget me. I'm here or I'm still mm-hmm. here. And it sounds like she doesn't let them forget that she's still no. there because she's throwing chemistry books up in the air and then dropping them.
0: Yeah. And the fact that her footsteps down the hall were described as a lullaby too many. <laughs> Makes me think that it's a regular occurrence, like it is maybe even nightly. It's like I've listened
2: to thunderstorm sounds while I go to bed. The residents of the dorm are listening to Condi's
0: footsteps pitter patter up and down the hallway. Oh my goodness! Ooh, I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad that everyone feels well. I shouldn't speak for everyone, but at least it sounds like the majority are feeling somewhat comfortable and are aware of who yeah. she is. But it brings me back to our times in the haunted dorms at LMU and not knowing who anyone was and being very freaked out when I see just footprints with no upper body walking by and stuff like that so scary creepy (laughs) let's bring it back to haunted universities let us know what happens in your dorms
2: yeah well that's a fun we should do another episode like that
0: yeah for sure Okay, this is from Rooney. It is called Mormon Missionary Haunting. Hi, sweetie, ghostesses. Ooh, I love your podcast. I love what very- you just called us. <laughs> I know, sweetie ghostesses. There's something it. about being called sweetie. Mm-hmm. My mom calls me sweetie, and I call my dog sweetie. I call Leia sweetie all the time. I go hi sweet girl or hi sweetie. It's just very endearing. It makes my heart warm. Me too. It sounds weird to say that something so spooky brings me comfort, but it does. I consider myself a non believer in ghostly things, but I love the theatrics in so many paranormal tales, and I love to listen. As an ex Mormon, I don't currently believe in God or Satan in any real sense, yet I have some experiences from my time as a Mormon missionary that I simply can't explain. And here's one For context, I grew up devoutly Mormon. Like all Mormon boys, I was prepared from birth to become a missionary at age 19. This means leaving home to preach the Mormon gospel full time in a place that the church leadership, aka God will assigned to you <laughs> for two whole years. I was sent to South Africa. I came out as queer and I left the church many years ago, but this experience stays with me. If this makes this email lengthy, I promise the background is worth it. Being a Mormon missionary is viewed as a very holy opportunity. That means that we had to be purified to qualify for the experience as well as maintain that level of holiness throughout. It follows that Mormon missionary life comes with a heightened sense of spirituality. Tales of spiritual visitations, angels, and yes, possessions abound. You give a bunch of 19 to 21-year-old boys a sense of spiritual power and importance a literal recipe for tall tales. Cut to me as a brand new missionary in South Africa at age 19. I lived in a house with three other missionaries, all of us, between the ages of 19 and 21, and I was the new guy. So every night when we returned from preaching, it was my job to unlock our driveway gate and then run inside to unlock the door and disarm our alarm system. Every single time I entered our darkened house alone, I felt uneasy. Not just scared of the dark uneasy, I mean very uneasy. Initially, I chalked this up to me feeling overwhelmed because I'd been thrown into this intense life of a Mormon missionary, which was partially true, and a manifestation of anxiety. Quick side note, but important to note at this point. My dad believes that our family is sensitive to the spirit realm, specifically the second son of each generation. He is his father's second son, and I am my father's second son. This was always unsettling to me, and I had to turn myself off of the possibility of being spiritually sensitive for years. We get it. Anyway, we yeah, we get it. Anyway, I felt uneasy each night as I entered our house. I felt particularly uneasy about the hallway for some reason. The house opened into a large entry with the hallway directly on the left. Something about how dark the hallway looked as opposed to the rest of the house felt sinister. I began to get flashes, images of a man every time I looked down that hallway. It was the same image every time. A tall, white, bearded man. Same expression, same clothing, every time. Something felt wrong about that almost tangible darkness and about him. Anytime I was in our kitchen, I felt like the hallway was watching me. At night, I couldn't even bring myself to leave our room and cross to the hall to use the bathroom. Oh my gosh. Again, I dismissed it as an anxiety response. And I refused to give in to the tall tales of missionaries and their fantastical dark spirit encounters. A couple weeks later, in the middle of the night, I was awakened by the other two missionaries banging on my and my missionary companion's door. Missionaries work in twos and share bedrooms, dorm room vibes. They looked terrified, but one in particular, let's call him Mike, was fucking mortified. He explained that he'd woken up in bed and he couldn't move. He began looking around and he saw a shadow figure in the doorway. Their room was at the end of the hall. He said, I have chills. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I just got like, ooh. Yeah. He said it felt like pure evil. His hair stood on end as it crept closer. He tried to scream, but he couldn't. Their big old floor fan turned off as the figure passed. And as it approached, it began to envelop him. Nope. At some point, he was able to move, and he screamed, and the darkness was gone. I knew what this was because I'd experienced that kind of sleep paralysis, and that's what I told him. He then explained that since I joined the house, he'd been seeing this figure of his departed grandfather in the same doorway. He spoke to the spirit, even though it never answered, and began to make him feel uneasy, but it was... His grandfather, after all. So he just tried to take it as comfort. At this point, he told us all that he felt that, and in speaking to the spirit, he had been giving power to someone or something that was actually not his grandfather. We spent a while dissecting the experience, and at some point, he explained what his grandfather looked like. He described a man eerily similar to the man that I saw from our hallway. I asked him to give more specific details, and every single one matched up. His height, the length of his hair, his beard, his clothing, his countenance. My hair stood on end for the entire night. I wasn't sure about the dark entity, but to this day, I cannot explain how, without his knowledge, I saw a spitting image of his grandfather. After hearing this, the church moved us out of the house immediately and into an apartment across town. As word of Mike's experience got out, Mormon missionaries are nothing if not terrible gossips. (laughs) I had many other missionaries tell me stories about when they or their friends had lived in that house. Items moving around the house, dark figures, and a lot of sleep paralysis. That helped validate my own experience and made me grateful to have spared a greater terror than what we had felt. Seriously. I'm not sure what the hell was going on in that house. Part of me wonders if it was the home to some concentration of supernatural energy that manifested itself in many different ways to different people. I also wondered why it started up once I arrived. Maybe my dad was right, and maybe that inherent sensitivity awakened something. Regardless, it scared the hell out of me, and I was glad to be out of that place. I experienced some other wild shit there. South African culture is so beautifully and deeply spiritual, and if I get permission, I'd love to share some experiences I had with singomas. For a lack of better term, it's witch doctors that I got to know. Till then, I hope you're keeping well. Sabrina, I just moved to LA and I'm enjoying it so much. Bless this weather. I'm currently scouting out some LA spooky spots to visit and will let you know if I experience anything. I may not be a full believer, but I'm always looking for opportunities to be proven wrong. Stay well. Stay safe. Sending all my love. See you on the other side. XX Rooney.
2: Whoa, Rooney, please let me know if you find anything because I want to
0: come check it out too. Wow. Spooky. Wild. And wait, they were in... I'm correct in saying they were in South Africa, yeah. Which mm-hmm. just reminds me of to- Tokolosh right now. Mm. But there are so many, like, yeah, so many tales, so many spirits. Yeah, and it's interesting now knowing, or ro- that Rooney later found out that other missionaries that had stayed at that same exact apartment had also experienced stuff, but it seemed to manifest even more and become super, super like present and dark and looming mm-hmm. once he moved in. Which makes me also wonder if the Mormon Church. Obviously, this was a place that they had, like, continued to house many different missionaries over the years. I wonder if after that experience, because they moved them out so quickly, if they were just like, we're done. Like, that. we're not keeping people there anymore. I don't know.
2: Because it's Rooney even said, though, like, after they had that experience, they were talking to other people who used to stay there. And Rooney was like, I'm glad it didn't get as bad. So it makes me think True. that it got pretty bad for multiple different tenants of that house. And I don't know. It sounds like they need to cleanse the
0: place. Yeah, or, I don't know, move
2: people into a different spot. Yeah, they should just use the new place.
0: Yeah, because it sounds like whatever it was is not following anyone. Mm -hmm. It's It's like staying there. Yeah, it's attached to that space.
2: But even if they get rid of it, someone else is going to take it, and then it's still going to be there. It's still going to be lurking in the shadows, Mm -hmm. still be mimicking people's loved ones. That's the part that freaks me out. It's like, mimicking is... (sighs)
0: Yeah. And how does it choose who to mimic? Because I would have, I guess, made the assumption that it would have appeared as a loved one to whoever was witnessing it as sort of this Mm -hmm. manipulation into making everyone believe they just had someone watching over them. But the fact that it chose one specific person and chose to depict itself as that person's grandfather. Right. Maybe it wasn't strong enough to do multiple
1: personalities.
2: Mm -hmm. But, yeah, how does it choose and then why it was – that person to grandfather was he the intended target? I don't know. Right. Ooh. Well, he was in the
0: ha- he was in the room at the end of the hall. So. Oh man, my leg hair is growing. Mine too.
2: <laughs> this is why I'm always prickly. <laughs> that and also I don't shave often. <laughs> okay, I have a creepy, scary one. Ah, that um, it goes really well after Rooney's story. This is from L. And it's called The Demon and the Adopted Mother's Punishment Prayer Attic." The names in this story have been changed to protect their identities. My name is Elle and my story is probably like nothing you've heard before. I have been listening to your podcast and I am in love. I've been contemplating sending you guys my story because it always makes my stomach turn. I started writing this email to you guys over a year ago when I first found your podcast and now I'm going to try to finish it. This story is hard for me to talk about, and it starts to take a toll on me if I think about it for too long. For the rest of our friendship, me and my three friends avoided bringing up the events of the night and acted like it never happened. Another six months has passed since I last tried to finish this email, so let's try again. (laughs) I am now trying to share my story so that maybe I will feel free from this burden once I finally get it off my chest. Hold your cat, say your prayers, and light some sage. Here we go. It was the summer of 2014, and I was 16 years old. Me and three of my friends, also 15 or 16 years old, decided to have a slumber party the night before going to Six Flags with our church youth group. My friends were Grace, Leah, and Eliza. Here's a little backstory on Eliza. She was adopted by a sweet elderly couple when she was little, and her adopted father had passed away in 2013 from cancer. He was a very sweet man. I'm not sure how old he was, but her adopted mom is now 85 years old. She's active and a hard worker, and you would never guess that she's in her 80s. So Eliza's mom let us come over to the house all the time. We would hang out or have lunch after church, and Eliza's mom, Mrs. D, was a very sweet lady and was always very welcoming in the house. Ms. D made the best spaghetti, and she always let us eat ice cream on the trampoline. How Mm -hmm. fun. Eliza, on the other hand, had a tendency to be rebellious and get herself into trouble. Eliza would oftentimes sneak out to go see a boy. So Ms. D had to put Christmas bells on all of the doors in the house. The bathroom, (laughs) bedrooms, closets, doors to go outside, and the garage. They all had Christmas bells hanging from them year-round. I've heard many stories from Eliza complaining about being punished by her mom because of something she did. And I didn't really think anything of it because my parents disciplined me just like any other teenager. I would just tell Eliza to try to stay out of trouble because I thought she was just overreacting. And she always was trying to get out of the house, so... Of course she was getting in trouble. Ms. D and her husband were foster parents, and that's how they got to adopt Eliza. Growing up and going to Eliza's house, there were always children coming in and out of their home through the foster system. But each child was never there for more than a few months at a time. And on several occasions, children would be pulled from Mrs. D's custody, either because she would report them for being bad children, or they would be relocated for unknown reasons. At the time of the story I'm about to share... There were no current foster children in Ms. D's home. I just thought it was because she was too old at the time to still be caring for foster kids. Like I said, Ms. D was a sweet old lady, or so I thought. And you're about to find out just how oblivious I was. So now that you have a little bit of an idea, I'm going to tell you about the night of the slumber party the night before we went to Six Flags. When we got to Eliza's house, we tossed all of our sleepover bags in her bedroom. Ms. D gave Eliza, Leah, Grace, and I some money to go buy junk food for the night. And I was the only one with a license, so I drove us to the dollar store right down the road. And we spent all the money on soda, chips, dip, Oreos, and cookies and cream ice cream. Yes, I remember the flavor of the ice cream because no matter how hard I try, I cannot forget a single detail of that night. When we arrived back to Eliza's house, we noticed that all of our things were no longer in her bedroom. We walked into the kitchen to sort out all of our junk food and Ms. D told us that she had moved all of our stuff upstairs. The house is a one level home with an upstairs loft room, basically a refurbished attic that was made into a bedroom. That was where the foster children would stay when they were living there. We were never allowed upstairs because Ms. D would go up there to study her Bible and pray. And Eliza has told me that for punishment, Ms. D would force her to read the Bible and lock her in the upstairs room until she had repented for her sins. We grew up as conservative Christians in Georgia, so this was not anything quite out of the ordinary for the way that I was raised. We all looked at each other and were shocked that she was letting us stay the night upstairs. We immediately grabbed our snacks and headed upstairs. And to paint a picture, there's a door by the living room, and you open that door and go up a hallway of carpet stairs. There's a wall on the right, and when you get to the top of the stairs, you're in the room. There's a desk for prayer under the small crest window. And there are two beds, one against each wall, both with white lace bedding. One of the beds had a Hannah Montana pillow and a big stuffed horse on it, which is a detail that will become important later. There was also a glider chair under a tall lamp in the corner with a brown teddy bear sitting on it. Eliza was not allowed to watch TV, and the only TV was in the living room, but Ms. D had cut the cord to the outlet so the TV was just for looks. So, us girls had to entertain ourselves. We did all your basic slumber party stuff. We had pillow fights, talked about boys, ate a ton of junk food, and made some prank calls. It was about 9 o'clock at night, and we were ready for some ice cream. So I went downstairs, grabbed the cookies and cream ice cream from the freezer, and Ms. D handed me some bowls and spoons. She was dressed in a light floral nightgown and was wearing a pair of light pink slides as house shoes. She asked me to tell the girls to try and keep it down because she was going to go to bed. She told me that we can stay up as late as we want, but we have to be downstairs early in the morning to get breakfast. She gave me her well wishes and told us to have fun. So I went back upstairs and we talked and we ate ice cream and I was sitting on the bed with a stuffed horse. I picked up the horse and Eliza said that the horse was a gift from her father when he and Ms. D adopted her. Eliza said the horse used to sing a song. I'm a happy, happy horse, happy, happy, happy horse. Eliza said she used to pretend to ride the horse and run around with her dad singing the song. She said that the horse only recently stopped singing after her father passed away. I turned over the belly of the horse, and the battery box was empty and broken. A few minutes pass, and it was a little closer to 10 p.m. Suddenly, we hear the bells jingle, and the bottom stairs door sling open and hit the wall. We rush over to see what had happened and what busted open the door so abruptly. Eliza had two small dogs, so we thought maybe she had left the door cracked and one of the dogs knocked it open. But Ms. D was standing in the doorway, screaming at the top of her lungs that we were being too loud and that we were not to come downstairs after 10 p.m. She ordered each of us to come downstairs and line up by the bathroom and said that the next opportunity to use the bathroom would not be until morning. I was in complete shock. Ms. D went from Ms. Honey to Ms. Trunchbull in a matter of seconds. Ugh. She stood in the hall and waited for each of us to use the bathroom. And then Grace, Leah, and Eliza and I went back upstairs. If you thought this story was getting weird, just wait. It's about to get even creepier. As Ms. D was closing the door at the bottom of the stairs, her face was as white as snow and her eyes had turned gray. She slammed the door shut. The bells made a loud noise and we heard the door lock. Eliza ran down the stairs to the bottom of the door and tried to open it, but it was locked. She started to bang on the door and scream, Mom, let us out. This isn't fair. Eliza then threw the stuffed horse down the stairs in anger walked back upstairs and apologized for her mom's actions and said that she's just old and stubborn. So we brushed it off and continued to talk about high school drama, etc. But we talked very quietly as to not wake up Ms. D when all of a sudden the room turned completely black. It wasn't that the lights were just turned off. The power to the house had been shut off. Our phones stopped charging, the air conditioner stopped and we immediately start screaming and rushed to our phones to turn the flashlights on. It began to get very hot and humid because we were in the attic. The air conditioning was completely turned off. There was no air blowing from the vents. Leah and I were on one bed and Grace and Eliza were on the other. We were hugging each other terrified. When Grace starts to stutter and points at Leah and I, What is it? What What are you pointing at? I yelled at Grace. She said nothing. Eliza then says, Do not move.
1: Oh, my God!
0: I'm so scared.
2: Eliza said that the white lace bed skirt on our bed was moving as if <gasps> something was breathing on it from under our bed. I called Bullcrap and told Eliza to stop trying to scare us. We could only see by using our flashlights, so I leaned over to see the edge of the bed, and sure enough, the bed skirt was moving back and forth, back and forth. I leaned back up and pressed my back against the wall. Grace stated that we should all start video recording on our phones in case something happened to us and there would be proof. So we all kept our phones on record for the rest of the night. I told Leah that we should make a run for it and jump onto the other bed, but Leah said nothing. I stood up on the bed about to jump across the room and Eliza screamed for me to stop. She said, no, stop, there's someone under your bed. She began to describe a dark figure under my bed that had extended its arm reaching it towards me when I was about to jump. She described it to have long fingers that didn't look human and she said she could only see the figure through her phone and when she looked away from her phone the figure was gone. At this time in my life I had never believed or even experienced anything paranormal. So even though I had no explanation for the bed skirt moving I acted as though everything was fine and we were just tired and seeing things. So I said screw it and I jumped onto the bed with Eliza and Grace. When I jumped onto their bed, the figure disappeared and the bed skirt stopped moving. Leah was lying down under a blanket and we all kept trying to tell Leah to come over to the other bed with us, but she didn't say anything and she didn't move. Leah had not said a single word since the power was turned off. Grace, Eliza, and I were huddled together and Grace was hugging the teddy bear. We thought maybe Leah had fallen asleep because it was getting late when all of a sudden Leah rose up with her neck bent all the way back and she was dripping wet with sweat. Her neck slowly bends forward, and her head looks upright, and she points to the teddy bear that Grace was holding, and says in a deep, monotone voice, Her name is Emma. Grace threw the bear onto the floor by the rocking chair, and Leah collapsed onto the bed, covered in sweat. We shook her awake, and she woke up in a complete panic. Once we were able to calm her down, she said that she didn't remember anything. At this point, I was ready to jump out of the window and run to anywhere that was not there, but the only window in the room was basically painted shut. I gave Leah some half-melted ice cream to try to cool her down, and we asked her if she knew anything about Emma, but she had no idea what we were talking about. So I turned my flashlight towards the rocking chair, and the teddy bear was no longer there on the floor. The teddy bear was now sitting straight up in the rocking chair, and it was rocking.
0: Oh my god.
2: Eliza got her phone and called their house landline in hopes that it would wake her mom up. We hear the ringing of the landline downstairs, but it went to voicemail. She calls it again, and we hear the ringing stop. Someone picked up the landline. With the phone on speaker, Eliza asked her mom to come upstairs that we needed her to pray over us and let us out, but there was no response. The line was silent, and we could hear one of the dogs begin to whimper through the phone. It was still very hot upstairs with no AC, and I was suddenly overcome with cold chills. The dog stopped whimpering, and we heard several footsteps through the landline. When the footsteps stopped, we heard the bells jingle at the bottom stairs door, and the phone call ended. We went to the top of the stairs with our flashlights and phones recording to see if Ms. D had opened the door, and the door was standing wide open, and the downstairs was filled with moonlight. Standing in the moonlight, in the doorway, was a little girl with long hair, and she was wearing a gown. Her face was completely black The landline was laying on the floor by her feet. Eliza began to pray and tell whatever evil was in the house to leave. The little girl disappeared, but we heard a noise. I'm a happy, happy horse. Happy, happy horse. The horse was still laying at the bottom of the stairs from when Eliza had thrown it. And now it was singing. And remember, the horse had no batteries and the battery box was broken. And yet it was still singing. The horse was singing over and over again. I'm a happy, happy horse. Happy, happy horse. Eliza began to cry. The horse has not sang since her father passed away. The power immediately turned back on in the house and the horse stopped singing. In that moment, I felt peace over my entire body and I knew I was safe. We ran downstairs and just looked at each other, finally being able to take in a deep breath of cold air. Grace and Leah went to Eliza's bedroom and I followed Eliza to the master. She wanted to check and make sure that Ms. D was safe. Their two dogs always slept in the bed with Ms. D, and when we entered the master bedroom, the only light was coming from the TV. There, in the light of the TV, Ms. D was standing with a blank stare. I looked around, and the two dogs were cowering in the bathroom with their tails tucked. Eliza asked her mom if she was okay, and Ms. D's face was very pale, and her eyes were gray. She pointed down the hallway and yelled in a deep voice that sounded like a growl, Upstairs! Now! Eliza walked over to her mom, held her hand out, and walked her to the bed. Eliza and I stood over Ms. D and prayed over her until she appeared to fall asleep. We took the dogs and spent the night in Eliza's bedroom with all of the lights on. Eliza told us that she thinks her dad still lives in the house and that he watches over and protects her. She said that her dad always had her back when her mom wouldn't, and Eliza said that on several occasions since her father has passed, that she will be in arguments with Ms. D and that doors in the house will slam until I stop arguing." The next morning, we packed up all of our things and we all tried to pull up the videos we took on our phone, but they were all gone. Not a single video that we took were saved to our phones. Nothing. Every single video that was taken that night on four different phones were gone. Like it never happened. We agreed to never talk about what happened and had a great day at Six Flags. Ms. D was as sweet as could be and had bought us all McDonald's for breakfast that morning. I eventually stopped going to Eliza's house, and as for Grace, Leah, Eliza, and I, we fell out of friendship and no longer talked to one another. Eliza has since then gone to juvie for an incident that happened between her and Ms. D. Was it self-defense? Did she finally hit a breaking point to where she couldn't take Ms. D anymore? I guess I'll never know. Yes, Ms. D is okay, Well, at least her political Facebook posts tell me that she's still alive. Thanks for taking the time to listen to my story, and maybe now I can put it behind me and forget about it altogether. I have not had many interactions with the paranormal since that night. I have grown stronger in my faith, and I believe that God is now protecting me from anything evil. I do have some crazy sleep paralysis demons that haunt me in my sleep, but maybe I can share those with you another time. Please feel free to share my story. Your podcast has been a huge blessing to me at work, in my car, and home. Keep what you're doing and stay creepy, ghouls.
0: See you on the other side. L. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is, I know. This is like a- and I feel like I just watched a horror movie because <laughs> it's like how can how long can you stretch out these few moments in the night and it being like as terrifying as it is. It feels like we just watched a, a scary movie, but I know I am just blown away. Like imagine I imagine living it. I can't. And I I need Eliza. <laughs> I want Eliza to tell her story. She needs to like write a book or something about everything that's happened because yeah. I don't know what's going on with Miss D, but It sounds like the fact that her, that Miss D's husband before his passing would take his adopted child's side over her, it makes me think that maybe there was something that had started before his passing, either Mm -hmm. like this dark entity kind of, you know, encroaching on her or whether that be, you know, maybe she had an undiagnosed mental illness that after his death, when she was vulnerable, you know, we hear a lot about. People in these vulnerable positions being preyed on and, and it becoming even worse when there's like some dark entity that comes in and takes over. And clearly she sounds like she was possessed, like great eyes, like great skin, totally a 180 from who she'd yeah. been moments before. And the standing in the light of the TV, too, also makes me think of
2: Poltergeist, mm-hmm. which is just like a weird possession. I don't know. I mean, granted, that yeah. movie is not based on reality, but like it, it just like – the staticky tv light it mm-hmm. just like makes me think of like that's how whatever dark entity is like accessing her
0: yeah and at the same time that she was standing there steps away was that little girl yeah The entity presenting itself as emma <gasps> or whatever oh. trying to convince them that it was just maybe this little innocent girl who wanted to be a part of the sleepover that was attached to the the teddy bear like it's emma like no they're gonna know that it's freaky when they see this little girl standing like above the in the darkness above the with a black face like literally i I imagine just like no features yeah oh
2: god it gives me chills fear almost and like the way that the thing was breathing under the bed i mean just like every like every aspect of this experience everything from the lights turning off to the breathing under the bed to the bear speaking and or leah being possessed and then the girl on the phone like oh it's so
0: i know terrifying but you know what i like about this story aside from it just being absolutely horrifying is that in the moment the bear going off and and doing the sound would be terrifying because it's like all of these it's like this compilation of all of these terrifying events happening and you know that the bear hasn't been working and that there's no batteries the horse. in it the horse or no, sorry the horse uh-huh but it was, it sounds like it was her dad and he was like yes. trying to quickly calm them and be like, no, 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 I'm here. I'm here now. Like, here's the thing I can do to let you know that I'm stepping in. Well, cause almost
2: immediately after the horse, so the girl disappeared, the horse starts singing and then almost immediately the power comes back on. So it does seem like her father intervened
0: and was like, yeah, I'm going to stop this. Oh, this is one of those things where I feel like just like in horror movies, like as it progresses, Misty will just be found talking to herself, like in the mirror, or oh. doing strange things and weird trances. Oh gosh, it's so freaky. Also, like if this were a dramatized horror movie,
2: then the girl will be standing at the doorway instead of her just disappearing. She would start to slowly climb the steps as the oh. horse started singing. I'm a happy, happy horse, happy, happy horse. And like, she's getting closer and closer. (laughs) Disappears under the same bed that was breathing. Oh God. I just hope that Ms. D is able to get help too. Cause it's like, I know we've heard this a lot where people who are really close and practice their religion are are trying to be really close to God end up being the victims of such dark possessions or or being targets of of evil entities because it's like, this is like a power play for them.
0: Right. And also think about it. Like if you're so devote and you are looking for signs, you're looking for contact, you're looking to be for some sort of proof that all of your devotion and your studies and your loyalty has not been for nothing. If something presents itself and presents itself as you're, as you're hoping for it to be, Mm -hmm. I think it'd be really easy for something, some dark entity to, you know, act like a little girl or act like some sort of figure or relative or something that you suddenly trust and are like, yes, I do believe. And now you're listening to this one thing that you think Uh, is something and it's actually the complete opposite. And it's something way worse. Way worse. Oof. It's like, it's, I feel like it's one of those things like red flags, you know, like, you know, someone's not good for you, but, but still you're like, well, what if this, or what if that, or like, you just don't want to believe and I feel like that's easy to do in paranormal situations where there's no clear answer and you're just trying to go off of your gut, but managing what's coming <laughs> in your mind and reality and the paranormal with your gut instinct, I think it's confusing. And that's why there's very. so many possessions out there.
2: All I'll say is that, L, I am very glad that you guys all got out of that night unscathed. Yes. And, you know. Unscathed, but probably mentally scarred. Yes. I mean, definitely. But you know, nothing physical. And yeah, hopefully it never happened to you ever again. Although <laughs> I imagine that Eliza was probably dealing with that stuff
0: quite a lot. I know. So horrible. Terrible. Um, On the topic of foster children and foster homes, not to bring up TikTok for the thousandth <laughs> time, but I did see this really lovely TikTok chain where someone had prompted and was saying, hey, foster kids, your first night in a foster home was one thing you wish had happened or that you had or Aww. had whatever. And I didn't see too many response videos because I hadn't gone too deep down a hole. But I'll tell you the two, two videos that I did see. Two foster children had responded and said that they wish they had a nightlight. And they wish that they had uh, bottles of cold water because on their first night, they're scared, they're nervous, and it still feels kind of like you're encroaching on someone else's private life and, and their items. So you might not be as willing to like go get yourself water and you're mm-hmm. not really sleeping because you're nervous and scared and, and whatnot. So I think if wow, anyone is sweet. looking to get into fostering or is a foster parent out there, I would recommend looking at that chain because I think there's a lot of good tips. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. This is from Ashley. <laughs> hey, Sabrina, Corinne, and Leah. Hope y'all had a happy holiday. TGOG has been keeping me company during this pandemic. So much appreciated. My experience I'm sharing today happened when I was 10 years old, so still at a ripe age to be extra sensitive to the paranormal. My grandparents had a house built in Lenark, Illinois, which is a small farm town in the Quad Cities. It's about an hour from Wisconsin and Iowa, And the day that they were moving into the house, my mom and I, along with my aunt and uncle, had come to help my grandmother move in. Prior to my grandparents moving in, my grandfather broke both of his legs moving out of their old house and was recovering in a patient rehab. Oh my gosh, that's so awful. As an adventurous and curious child, while the adults were moving things, I decided to go exploring, specifically in their brand new basement. It was still unfinished, but had the materials up to construct the walls, so you can get an idea of all the the different future rooms. Wandering through different parts of the basement, areas were pitch black. My imagination would run thinking that there's someone there, but I always tried to tell myself, I'm just being scared. Hmm. I would run upstairs, help, and then run back down to the basement to look around. The last time I ran back down to the basement, I turned the corner and I saw my uncle. Not the uncle that was there helping that day an uncle who lived two hours away and was at work that day. He stood there with this sinister smirk, his shoulders spread and feet apart, standing in what seemed like an attack-ready position. Oh. I ran so fast up the stairs. I was almost on all fours, and I told my mom and my aunt how I didn't know my other uncle was coming, and I just saw him in the basement. They looked at me a little annoyed because they were busy, but said that he wasn't coming. He had work. Up until I heard y'all's podcast about doppelgangers— I hadn't had clarification or acceptance of what had happened. For years, I tried to tell myself that what I had seen was just my imagination, and I tried to block it from my memory. I'm still not sure what the entity wanted or intended. The land was just farmland for decades prior. Girl, same. And yet (laughs) my house is still haunted. And we know the family who's owned it for decades. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could gather is about a mile down the road is a notoriously haunted farm called Willow Creek Farm. Some friends and I made out there during the years that I would visit. Wait, what? <laughs> Is that what she means? I don't know. I don't know. Either she's making out with her friends or hanging out with her friends yeah, down I don't there know. Hey, she would. You do you? I know. I had to reread that like three times in my head, and I was like, it says making out, so made out. Okay. Some friends and I spot. made out there during the notorious or during the years that I would visit said farm. And it was haunted by this really evil entity and it had possessed people before that had gone there to try to investigate. I'm not sure if entities can travel like that and I'm not sure there's rules or boundaries. So could this be the evil entity curious about the house being built and been the reason for my grandfather being injured before moving in? More questions remain, but I found solace in y'all's podcast and could finally confirm what happened to me. Maybe y'all could do an episode on Willow Creek Farm. On your makeout spot. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, absolutely. See you on the other
0: side, Ashley. I love that her makeout spot was haunted. Yeah, but people are getting possessed. Isn't that the, like the thing though when you're a teen? It's like there's no real good spots. So it's like always the like kind of scary, yeah. creepy, like we shouldn't be here. And then suddenly you're like, I feel so many emotions. I just I get something to make out with you now. <laughs> <laughs> they abandoned asylum. Yeah. This is why all of the. This is why Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like filled with a bunch of young twenty year olds. Yeah, house wax. You're just you're just overcome by your hormones. You can't see what's around you.
2: Okay, this experience reminds me kind of of Rooney's experience with how like the evil entity was just mimicking someone that you know Mm -hmm. or someone that someone knows to try to make you trust it. But I mean. I I almost wonder because Ashley has been to this farm before, like if the entity remembers her and it was just like kind of coming to be like, welcome, welcome back. I'm going to
0: scare you again. I don't know. I don't know either. So creepy. Not only did it, it wasn't, I'm confused because it appeared as her uncle, which Mm -hmm. would make me think it was trying to gain her trust or something or keep her down there. Or what have you, and yet it was in the like ready to attack position, like, which would scare her smile. and spook her. Yes. So I don't really know what it what it was trying to get at. Maybe this entity's new.
2: It hasn't really been in the game for a long time, and he got a little too excited. To he scare just tried her to do everything he learned all he at once, all the spells. Yeah, yeah. He kind of like skipped over the beginning process.
0: Yeah, he just combined a bunch of things. Now, now we're all left confused. I'm curious if her
2: grandparents have seen it or experienced anything since, because mm-hmm. now they've, I, mean, I wonder how long
0: they've been there and lived there. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ashley, let us know. I know. I'm curious. And I really hope that their laundry isn't in the basement. I feel oh like my basement laundry is like the <laughs> absolute worst, because you're forced to go down there like once every week or two. It makes me think of Liz Sauer, Ghosts in the Burbs. Ghosts in the Burbs. Actually, look. I, I literally, you sent me this a long time ago, but I finally grabbed it to read. It's literally right next to me. Oh my God, it's so good. It's Liz Zara's book, Claire. And I got it out today because I was like, I'm going to read this book. Wow. I haven't had a chance, but now I'm going to. <gasps> How, what a great plug. Wow. And here's her book <laughs> <laughs> within arm's reach. Oh my gosh. So funny. Wow. Wow.
2: Alrighty, what do you have? Okay. This is from Diana and Bubba. And it's called Knock, Knock, Who's There? Lady of the lake and a shadow man. Hello, Corinne, Sabrina, Mr. Deanna Roga, and Leia. Oh, Nick's gonna love that. (laughs) And I was being sarcastic because he would not. But I love that. But we like it. We love it. Okay. Mr.
1: Deanna Roga. (laughs)
2: Knock, knock. Who's there? Usually the answer is followed by some silly remark or a dad joke. However, there was no answer at the end of my question. And I shall waste no time and proceed to explain further. I'm a 20-year-old Virgo who overthinks too much, gets paranoid too easily, and watches horror movies alone for fun. I live in a Roman Catholic household with my parents, my brother, my husband, and my two-month-old son. I am currently discovering my own craft, and I am a novice practitioner. Again, because I live in this Roman Catholic household, my mother hates the term witch, but she is so a green witch. She could tell you the name of any plant, its medicinal properties, what it can help cure, and the best time to plant it. She, of course, denounces anything that is not God-related, and I understand why. She's had many encounters, and some more spooky than others, and while I recently warded my home, cleansed my space with sound, sealed my windows, and closed my mirrors because no matter how I arrange my furniture, a vortex is always created. A vortex, for those who don't know is a place of concentrated energy that can act as a portal for spirits. Mirrors that face each other essentially create a never-ending portal so that energy never goes away, and thus, that's why I close my mirrors. Well, right after protecting my space, some strange things started happening. I would see movement from my periphery, creaks in the living room at night, and nothing ever crazy happened until this incident. And I have footage. It was October 21st, at 3 in the afternoon, The lack of light made the inside of my home look dim and gloomy, and my back door was open. My son was asleep, and the silence was eerie. I walked into the living room, and my mother was not there. I noticed the back door was open, so I made my way to the kitchen, and I swore she was on the stairs because of what I experienced next was completely unexplainable. I started hearing knocking. The knocking was coming from inside the wall, and not just any wall. This wall is four inches thick and made of wood and on the other side, it's the plastic they put on the houses. Nothing else. And because the porch was added onto the house, there are no pipes that go into the wall. The knocking came from the farthest corner, next to the window, and it just was constant. Knock, 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 knock. I pulled my phone out and recorded it, just to prove that there were actually knocks. And then I knocked on the wall myself to confirm to my brain that indeed the knocks were happening. Needless to say, I yeeted myself back to my room and put on some magic school Bus. I wish that it would have been a one-time thing, but when my Bubba got home later that night, it happened again and he witnessed it too. The sun had long set and the stillness of the night rolled in. My parents were in their room on the other end of the house and it was nice and peaceful. Bubba walks in around 8.10 and we ate after his shower and then cleaned up our dishes. And in the middle of that serene silence, you could hear knock, knock, knock echoing from the stairwell. I rushed to open the door into the pitch black stairwell and the light from the kitchen trickled in, and the knocking just kept going. I grabbed Bubba's hand and told him the knocking is back, and he stood there with me as we both observed this anomaly. He turned the light on for the stairs, and the knocking grew more and more frantic, as if someone were trapped on the inside of the wall. Bubba reached his hand out and knocked on the wall, just as I had earlier. And once he compared the sounds, he was like, It's time to GTFO. Since that day, there had been no more knocking, just ladders falling over. Wow, this email is getting long, but if I don't write this out, my therapist will never hear the end of my regret for not sharing. So this story is the one about the Lady of the Lake. Ever since Bubba moved in, I've shown him all the best shows that will give you a fright. One of them was Haunting of a Hill House, and since we loved the way the show was filmed and edited, of course we had to watch Haunting of Bly Manor. We binged it in two days, and we constantly would pause and make theories about who who was who, make a theory about who was who, when the lady of the lake showed up, it caused such an impact on me that I basically saw her in my dreams. Hung above my wall and all my furniture, I have orange Halloween lights in my room. My room is at the very back of the house, and my bed is basically in the furthest corner of my room. My closet door is at the foot of my bed, and my bedroom door is diagonal to my bed. So, basically what that means is I am motherfucking cornered. I am an energy empath, so I pick up on mood shifts and strange energies rather quickly, almost as fast as the rabbit senses movement. Baba is also gifted. He sees the spirits or entities in his dreams. I have a story on that too, but I digress. So on this night, there was a rainstorm and there was lightning and it was just going at it. I have two windows in my room, so it has good visibility. I was asleep and on the edge of the bed since it was my turn to take care of my son this night. And I'm not sure what happened or if I was asleep or awake, but I remember seeing the lady of the lake open my bedroom door and walk into my room. Her long dripping hair soaked my carpet and she glitched, and the next time she appeared, she was crawling on top of my body. Ugh. And the worst part is, she had eyes. Her eyes were wide open, with no eyelids, and she just kept crawling until she stood over me, and her face started to lean into me. I reached for Bubba, and I remember him jumping at my touch. I grabbed him and cried into his arms in a full hysteria. And then I said, It's eating my sadness. Get it off. Get it off. He asked what was? What it was, And I told him it was a demon. And when I looked at his face, his hair cast a deep shadow. And then it wasn't Bubba's face at all. I was hugging this sadness-sucking demon. It was attached to Bubba. I cried harder. And when I told him, it's got you, he acknowledged that he did feel a hand with claws on his shoulder. I remember that this was the day I heard the episode where you two interviewed Conchetta and where you had asked her how to get entities away and how she said to invoke God. And so I said, leave. I did it through my sobs and hysteria, and a huge relief hit me. I hugged Bubba for the longest time, and eventually we fell back to sleep. Ever since then, I have been working to get more positivity into my life because negativity can get sticky. This is my last story. Remember how I said Bubba sees entities in his dreams? Well, this man has had some bad luck. This is his encounter with the shadow man. This was a time before our son and before he moved in. He lived with his parents in a rundown apartment, and this place had always had some funky vibes. I mean, you could just feel the slug, like energy the moment you walk into the door. It was like walking through fog. Whenever we FaceTimed at night, he would mention seeing someone walk through his living room when he was sleeping and into the kitchen. The thing with that is that no one was ever awake at 2 a.m., and we ended up figuring out that there were three entities in the place. A mother who always protected him from the shadow man, and a little boy who would hide in the parents' closet. He had seen the woman the first time in his sleep. She walked into his room, and since his back was to the door, she sat in bed with him, and she hugged him. He said that at first he thought it was his mother because he felt warm and safe, but when he realized the hand that he was looking at was pale and had long fingers, he turned around to see a woman with long black hair and woke up. As for the boy, he never showed himself, but we knew when he was there because he would run from the living room to the bathroom, and we would just see him dart so fast you'd almost always miss it. But then there was the shadow man. Now, he was nasty. He would scratch Bubba, and he would always make it so that Bubba never wanted to do anything. He was attached to Bubba in his negative way of thinking. Bubba never turned on the lights when he was home alone, so he was basically enveloped in darkness and shadow. Bubba's bed used to be diagonal to the doorway, and right next to the door was a coat rack. I swore up and down that on multiple occasions, I would feel the stare from the coat rack, like a big, ugly stare. I always made Bubba turn on the lights and open his windows, And I would always try to smile and be his light. And the shadow man hated me for this. I knew it because the hostile energy around certain spots or at certain times was very obvious. One night, Bubba was asleep and his bed was pulled into the middle of the room and started to shake violently. Compare it to the scene of The Exorcist. It was that bad. Bubba woke up panicking and called me and we basically fell asleep on the phone. As I've started to grow my craft, I decided that this thing had to get the fuck off my man One way or the other. I tried cleansing Bubba with a singing bull sound, and then I had him do Corinne's ribbon technique. After that, I bought sage. By the way, I never use white sage. Alternatives are dragon's blood incense or frankincense. And I cleansed every corner of his room. I had purposely closed the doors, and I knew he was standing on the other side of that door, just staring me down. So I did the same from my side of the door. That very same night, Bubba went into the kitchen to cook, and I had gone to the bathroom. I came out and I caught a glimpse of someone's back going into the living room. I thought it was Bubba, so I followed suit. But when I rounded the corner, I saw the back go into Bubba's room, so I went too. And when I tell you my heart threw up and hit in my stomach, there was no one in the room. Bubba had been in the kitchen the whole time, and the shadow man had returned to his place in the coat rack. So I got mad and I removed every last jacket and sweater and put them on a chair in the living room. My mother wards our house with her prayers and her holy objects, so even if that shadow man thing wanted to come with Bubba, God is just too big for him to handle. I have to cleanse and pray after these incidents, but especially after the late night incident. I have many other stories from my mom, and I'll write them down someday. I wish you guys nothing but positivity, light, and love. Stay spooky, my ghostesses, and we will see you on the other side. Spookily, Diana and Bubba. And she attached the video! I know, I'm afraid to... Watch it. You watch it first. (laughs) Ooh, it's like a very steady. Oh, sounds like this. But
0: like more steady, scary. You know what I'm taking away from this email is that Bubba, while entirely unlucky by how much is trying to come after him, is extremely lucky that Diana and all of these other like guardian spirits are working so hard around yeah. him to protect him. Seriously. Yeah. I feel like he's just like chilling and there's like evil clawed hands around him and then someone else is like, No, get away. Yeah, Diana's he's like, like what was that? very brave to just Super be like, brave. excuse me, get off my man. I know. Wow. How lucky is he to have her? And mm-hmm. it sounds like she's really moving kind of quickly to honing in mm-hmm. on her craft and understanding what to do. And I, I'll totally back her on the frankincense and dragon's blood because when things are really bad in my parents' home, we use frankincense, like an incense cone. And then we use like the rock version of white copal and dragon's blood and just like smoke out the room that is being affected. That's smart. And that's always been like our, our last the last thing we do when things are really, really bad are, are the big guns. Bring out the big guns. So, yeah, I'll back around that because we've been using that for years. Yeah. And it clears it out for like a long while. That's amazing. you have to do it again. It's also interesting to me because it sounds like Dayana is just like, one, she's definitely
2: working on her skills and honing in, but it sounds like she is very open and it might not mm-hmm. only be the mirrors that are creating a portal in her room because she said no matter how much she like reorganizes her furniture, like things keep happening but it might also mm-hmm. just be
0: her. Like things are attracted to her. Yeah, I can see that. But I do like that she's taking she's taking advice from other people like Conchetta or hopefully she's in our the Facebook coven group because mm-hmm. I feel like those are those are people that have way more expertise on the subject matter than we do. Oh, yeah. But I like that she's like putting these things into practice and figuring out what's what works best for her abilities and her energy and the people around her. I think that's, you know, at least she's continuing to like fine tune and and try to figure out how to get this thing out. And she's backed by her mom and by this like ghostly mom that helps Bubba. Seriously. How interesting. I wonder if it's like someone else in the house or if it's like a guardian of some sort or Or there's like many different. A maternal figure, like a great great grandparent who's just like appearing as this, as like her best version of herself that happens to be Mm. a younger woman. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Wild, but man, Bubba, I think you might be the luckiest unlucky person (laughs) ever. True. If you're going to be haunted by
2: a shadow man, at least you have these uh, strong energies supporting you and trying to help you.
0: Yeah. Both living and dead. (laughs) You've got everybody. Wow.
1: Wow.
0: what's next all right this one's a long one right i just love the title so much it is called snakes on a plane nah demons on a train okay
2: <laughs> that kind of sounds like harry potter nah i
0: love it hello ghouls and ghosts my name is caitlin and i'm an avid listener and huge fan Firstly, I need to thank you guys for your podcast. My friend Rachel showed it to me and was hooked on your theme song immediately, Mm. but I wasn't a podcast person. I loved the premise, but I couldn't see myself listening for hours to someone talking. I dropped out of college after all, no more lectures for me. (laughs) Plus, I spent my days listening to music while I worked, but that changed. Get ready for some feels. When I was 16 and for a year and a half, I was homeless. I slept in my car a lot and on family members' couches, and I got well-acquainted with rest stops and park showers. And nobody knew. I didn't tell anyone until I was almost 20. It was me against the world, basically me and Casey. Casey was a Pablon mix, a small French dog breed, and he was my best friend. When I was 17, I tried to get my life together, and I went to therapy. I was diagnosed with PTSD, and with that diagnosis, I started training Casey to be my service dog. He served me well, gave me a way to go out in public and not hyperventilate. The flashbacks didn't happen when I was with Casey. We went to college together, and I dropped out, and I started training dogs at PetSmart. And we had a pretty good life going. Mm -hmm. None of it would have been possible without Casey. Eventually, though, as all dogs do, Casey got old. I retired him, thinking myself strong enough to brave the world outside without him. And when I came home, he was thrilled to see me, and I was confident that I was better. I went on vacation with my friends and was introduced to your podcast. And to prepare for Casey's inevitable departure, I found a Papillon puppy. His name is Sean, and he didn't act like Casey. But that's fine. I told myself all dogs are different. I would know. I was a professional dog trainer, and I had to say that to many a student. I think she's talking about her dogs being the students. Yes. (laughs) I I believe so. It's okay. You're all just a little different. You're You're doing great, sweetie. Then came the day that Kesey passed away. I called off work for a few days and I was destroyed. The flashbacks were happening again. I was nervous and anxious and I couldn't breathe. Mm. I was considering suicide again, only stopping myself from doing it because of the dogs and cats that I had at home that were still alive. Mm. I had him cremated. I brought him home in a box and I cried. Nearly every minute of the day was filled with tears. Losing a dog is always hard, but losing a service dog is worse. Even though he was retired, he still performed a job. And I had lost my ability to cope with the world. PTSD doesn't go away. You just get better at coping with it. As many people do when moving from their first service dog to a second, I struggled. I resented Sean for the things that he didn't do that Casey had. I was still having panic attacks and flashbacks, even with him around, and I actually gave up on him. I still liked him, but he was just a pet now. I decided I wouldn't ever have another service dog. When I eventually went back to work, I tried listening to music and I found myself crying and lost in thought. I'm a multitasker and music would normally give me something to bump along to as I ran my machine. But I kept thinking I needed an escape. At this point in my life, I now run a CNC mill. I drill holes and stuff with a fancy machine. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. I remembered the TGOG podcast and decided to try it out to see if I could use it to stop my intrusive thoughts. I binged. <laughs> According to Spotify, my longest binge session was just under nine hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Almost a complete shift. Sorry, I had to stop the podcast to pee. (laughs) (laughs) I've listened to most episodes at least twice. The Dominus episodes even more. They're my favorites. Hmm. Well, there's one uh, coming up, so keep listening. The only episode I've listened to only once is, from the very beginning, your Pet Cemetery episode. I listened to it once, bawled the whole way through, and haven't been able to listen to it again since. Ignoring that one episode, though, your <laughs> podcast got me through one of the darkest times in my life. You know how everyone has that TV show that they watch over and over or that one book they reread a million times? Well, that's this podcast oh. for me, a comfort show. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. Oh. At one point during the period of me trying to get over Casey, I had a nightmare. In this dream, I was in the house that I didn't recognize, and I saw Casey out the window. The grass of the lawn was right up against the window, and he was leaning against the glass. I must have been in a basement or something. I said his name and I ran to the window, but he wouldn't turn around. I banged on the glass. I shouted, crying, but he wouldn't look back at me. And when I woke up, my pillow was covered in tears. It was then, oh, I've chills too because I feel like I understand. It was then that I decided to try lucid dreaming. I was going to make Casey turn around, or I was going to make the glass disappear. I was determined to see him one more time, face-to-face, convinced that he was the key to getting over him. But what I didn't consider, even for a second, was astral projection. My family has a history of clairvoyance through dreams. Like you, Sabrina, I feel like mm-hmm. one day your grandchildren are going to be like, well, this makes sense because my grandma <laughs> used to <laughs> astral project in her dreams, and that's I you. can't wait to talk to my grandchildren about this. My grandmother always knows what the next baby to be born into our family will look like, its gender, and a general idea of its personality. My mom always knows when something's wrong and will call my siblings and I until she finds out who it was and if we're all okay. They both have premonitions, as do my aunts, but I don't. Much as I wish that I had my family's gifts, my dreams are meaningless, normal dreams. So I began practicing lucid dreaming. I was good at it, too. I picked up on the ability to control my dreams fairly quickly, changing things to my liking and putting myself in places that I wanted to go and do things I wanted to do, all in the effort to be able to see my beloved Casey one last time. One particular night, I was dreaming of my childhood home. Before my parents split, I grew up in a rather large house that had been a barn in the 1800s and was converted into a house in the early 1900s. It was red with white trim and there were grape arbor, out back, a pond, a small graveyard, and three large pastures where we kept horses. I found myself walking past the log splitter and towards the gate to the main pasture. I looked to my left at the pond and the fountain in the middle of it was on. A familiar splashing sound emanated through the air and I smiled. I climbed the gate, and I dropped into the field beyond it and I started towards the back of the pasture. On the far side, near the fence, grew some tall weeds called foxtails. I loved these weeds as a kid. I would pluck one and weave it between my fingers and play with it for hours. They look like corn dogs, if you don't know what these things are. They're like in swampy areas, I believe. Am I right? Am I thinking of the right thing? I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably wrong. What do I know? I'm probably wrong. Uh, None of the horses were there, but I didn't notice that until after I'd woken up and thought about the experience. There was probably a reason why they weren't there. As I was walking, I slipped my right hand into my pocket and I pulled out the bell and tag from Casey's collar. I always carry it with me now to ground myself. The bell is small and brass and has a beautiful tone. The tag is a skull and crossbones, an effort on my part to stop people from mistaking him for a female. It didn't work. He was a small fur dog after all. <laughs> I held the tag and I let the bell dangle and it chimed, and I let my mind wander to him. There was a rush of air and energy and I gasped. I now found myself in a passenger car of a train. The interior was done up in the dark wood with rich green velvet and green and gold carpet. The windows were dark, but I could tell that they were moving because of the pressure that I felt pushing me back when I tried to walk and the rumble underneath my feet. I could also hear the rattling of the train cars. I'd never been on a train before in my life, but I knew that this is what it was like. I also knew I couldn't leave. I tried. With no other options but to walk around or sit down, I chose to wander. I tried to see the other passengers, but when trying to focus on their faces, they were shrouded in a hazy black fog. My stomach was a knots and I was uncomfortable, but I kept pushing forward. After passing through a few cars, I found myself behind a man wearing a conductor's uniform. Navy blue and gold trimmings, black dress shoes, and he was missing a hat. He was facing away from me, and I could see that he was bald. He also had ridges on his skull under his skin, bumps that made up lines that either started from the back of his head and went forward, and the other way around. His skin was ashy, gray, white. His hands were large, with long, bony, talon-like fingers that ended with nails that were pointed and reddish pink around the cuticles. I feel like she's describing me in the winter. (laughs) My breath caught in my throat, and he must have sensed it, or heard me, because he turned around and I saw his face. His eyes were an angry red that diluted to yellow near his pupils. His lips were thin and white and pulled back into a grimace, revealing his yellowed, pointed teeth. The same reddish-pink pigmentation from around his fingernails was around his eyes and his lips, and I knew as soon as I locked eyes with him that he was a demon, and he did not want me there. He started towards me and I stepped back, but he was on me in two strides. He took his right hand and he wrapped it around my throat. No. His fingers easily overlapping my thumb around my neck because of the sheer size of his hand. I tried to get my hands to his wrist in an attempt to escape, but it was so much I was so much slower than him. He heaved me backwards with his full body like you would throw a javelin or a spear, and I woke with this feeling, not of falling downwards, but of being thrown upwards. I put my hands to the top of – to stop my face from colliding with whatever was now under me, and I found myself on my hands and knees in my bed, and my throat hurt. I got up and I went into the bathroom, and when I finished, I glanced in the mirror. Very clearly, the skin of my neck was welting up into a handprint, far too big to be from a human hand. I still kick myself for not taking a picture. It would have been proof. Maybe it's good that I didn't though, because demons don't like us having proof. I stopped trying to lucid dream after all. And then you did a listener story that made everything click. I can't remember the episode, but a woman had found herself on a train station looking for a relative that had recently passed. After listening to that, I started looking into it. And sure enough, there's lore about a train to the afterlife. There are even songs in a video game based on the lore of this train. And then I started thinking about astral projecting and it all made sense. Why were there no horses in the pasture? Because the current owner of the house doesn't own horses. I don't think I was dreaming of the past. I was visiting the present. Oh, I chills. In my grief and my attempt to see my dead dog, I accidentally almost actual projected into the afterlife. And the demon on the train got mad because I wasn't dead and he threw me back up into my body. I've since accepted that I'm not going to see Casey again and started working with Sean on service dog training. Admittedly, Sean will be an even better service dog than Mm. Casey was. I just wasn't able to accept that in the beginning. He's almost two and a very good boy. I've also begun developing my own gift in the form of reading tarot. It's not dream clairvoyance, but my own kind of future sight that is extremely accurate. Recently, I read for a friend and I told her that she was going to get pregnant and when she would be due, and she laughed because she was on birth control. Well, it failed. <laughs> she found out she was pregnant in April, the month that I read it would be, and she was due in December. But the reading told us November. Guess who delivered oh a week god. early in the last week of November? The cards Whoa. were right. I've attached some pictures of the house Bond, what I call my pets. I hope you enjoy. Oh my gosh. Look at sweet Casey. Oh my god, and she is And five the great pyramids.
2: <gasps> and the Pip And the tortoises. And the Do you see the tortoises on Santa with Santa? Oh my gosh. (laughs) She said, because the reptiles never get enough love on this podcast. And there's a photo of Frederick sitting in Santa's lap and Maturin, who's just on the floor and they're massive.
0: So cute. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys again for the wonderful work that you do. This podcast has been a lifesaver. Hope you enjoyed my tale and the pictures of my pets. Best regards and spooky vibes. Caitlin. I mean, Caitlin, you accessed
2: basically the afterlife. And I want to know more about this train to the afterworld or to the
0: afterlife, but you were on it. I know. And what's so, uh, I just like, I feel good and bad about her experience being like, you know, taken by the throat and thrown. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is she was, you know, essentially thrown back into her body, like where it could have, it could have gone way worse where she was tethered and her soul was then Mm -hmm. being taken into hell or whatever. By this demon. because well, that's what we've heard. So it was an aggressive play, but it helped her in the well, end. Well, because we've heard... Okay,
2: yeah, that's what was so, is so bewildering to me, because I feel like we've heard of Astral Projection where, like, demons will try to steal your body because you've left it. But the fact that this mm-hmm. demon was like, girl, you don't belong here, granted it was violent, like, it did return her to her body, which is a yeah. very helpful thing.
0: I know, it almost makes me... It almost makes me think that maybe those that are like a part of assisting souls into their respective places aren't necessarily demons or angels or anything, but just sort of this like weird in between where like security guards. They're just Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Halloween town when the taxi driver gets like really aggressive, mm. the skeleton. Like he's supposed to be helping and he's a taxi driver, but he's also you don't really trust but him. He he's a little he kind of wild got possessed at that point, though I think he did. So maybe the possessed version of him is what it's like. I don't know. Wow. I don't I know. It's so crazy. Ugh.
2: Yeah. Kaylin, I'm glad that Ugh. you and Sean are getting along now. And I know it's so Hitting hard it to lose Casey. And you guys clearly I had know. a connection unlike any other pet. But I hope
0: Sean, Sean's, Sean's going to step up, I believe, in Sean sean the service boy that's what she called him in the oh, photo you it's so sweet i wonder if sean if like in the pet world he brags to the other animals that you have and he's like i got promoted <laughs> y'all are just pets um, i'm service, a service cons. dog
2: um i love it okay i have a story from Haley, and it's called i won't even tell you eee, i'm so okay. excited <laughs> okay hello ladies i was listening to your aliens episode 50 when i started to write this email and then months later i decided to finish it the struggle is real sabrina's birthday episodes pushed me to send it in even if it's late now oops listen i'm not perfect (laughs) like corinne i grew up in vermont Ooh. when i was a little girl my sister joanne and i shared a bedroom she was 13 and i was six I remember laying in bed trying to fall asleep, but mostly wanting to annoy her. And she soon threatened me and told me to shut up and go to sleep. Ah, sibling love. Eventually, I drifted off to sweet dreamland, but it didn't last long. I was awoken a few hours later by a loud rumbling noise that shook my bed, and then there was a bright light that filled our bedroom. It felt like a train or an earthquake. And now, keep in mind, our house sat back in the middle of the woods. We lived on a dirt road— but there is no way a car could have high-beamed our bedroom window unless it was hiding behind a forest of trees. And if that was the case, it's a whole other story. Also, (laughs) nothing natural could have caused the bedroom to shake. Scared of what was happening, I sat up in bed and looked over to my sister to see if she was awake. Joanne noticed me and pulled the blankets away from her face just enough to whisper, go back to sleep, don't look. I could tell that she was scared, but of course, I didn't listen to her and I looked up to the bright lights beaming in from the window. The curtains were drawn, but I could make out the silhouette of two figures standing outside. I was unable to see their faces, but they had big heads, slim bodies, and they were just standing there. And one began to slowly wave. We had a neighbor, but she was gone for the summertime, and we were watching her home, so it couldn't have been someone just trying to scare us. I looked down at Joanne and asked if we should call our mom and dad, who were in the room beside us. And with terror in her face and voice, she said, No. Just lay back down and pretend to go to sleep. They'll leave eventually. We bickered about what to do, but I did as she said and I laid back down, pulling the covers over my head, leaving my eyes exposed so I could keep an eye on them. I don't remember falling back to sleep, but I woke up in the morning with the sun shining on my face. We didn't talk about it. I thought it was just a dream, so I was going to wait until Joanne said something. But she never said anything and had to go back to her mom's house for the week. Eventually, our parents kicked my brother and me outside to play, and I decided to go check out the window. To my disbelief, I saw a perfect circle of dead grass. It was indented in yellow, like something heavy had been sitting on it for days. But nothing had been in that area the previous day. Not telling my brother what I was doing, I walked into the house to look for more clues. I noticed that there were piles of grass clippings in front of my bedroom and my brother's. Our parents' bedroom, which was in between ours, had nothing in front of it. The lawn had not been recently mowed either. I went outside to look for some more and I noticed another perfect circle of dead grass on the other end of the house under an apple tree. Since Joanne was gone, I decided to tell our parents what happened, but they didn't believe me. They thought I was making it all up. But when I pointed out the circles, they decided it was the sewage tank leaking. I did not buy it. There was no way it would be a perfect circle indented from the top. And there were two of them on opposite ends of the house. Defeated and alone, I didn't talk about it until a decade later when Joanne was teaching me to drive. We got on the topic of paranormal stuff like astral projection, ghosts, and her experience with Ouija boards. I know her and my mom used to do it all the time. Some of the stuff stayed behind, but that's for another time. She had the same look of fear on her face as she did that night. She said something about how she just thought it was a dream and didn't believe it to be real. It was a relief because I knew it wasn't a dream, but because I was only six when it happened, I couldn't truly trust that I didn't just make it up. Joanne being older than me validated that it did in fact happen, and plus we never mentioned it since that night, so how could our details still be the exact same? Then, about five years ago, my brother, who we never told because he was younger and we didn't want to scare him, brought up a time when a bright light was shining into his bedroom. He said he saw a figure standing in front of his window waving— And I was like, um, what? Guess what direction his window faced? That's right. The apple tree where the second circle was found. (gasps) I don't know what it was, but all three of us kids saw dark silhouettes outside of our windows waving at us. If anything happened and we just forgot, I don't know, but all three of us have had experience with other strange and paranormal things like sleepwalking, vivid dreams, shadow figures, hearing disembodied voices, and astral projection. I do have more stories to tell, but this was the only alien encounter to happen. Dot 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 so far. Dramatic music. Thank you, ladies and Leia, so much for this podcast. I truly find joy in listening each week. Side note, strange things have been happening in my home after I listened to your podcast. Mainly voices, items moving, doors closing on their own, phantom smells. So thank you for the ghost.
0: See you on the other side, Haley. Are these aliens? I think they're aliens. What is happening? Just the description of them. And they wave. The waving. The it almost reminds me of like a crop circle. Like yeah, the, it's where they're ship like the landed. Circle Just waving. Yeah, like doing what you're supposed to do as an alien. It's like the humans say hello this way, do this, and they will think you are friendly. But maybe it's they like are. Maybe they are friendly. That it's, yeah, but it's the middle of the night and you're a child, and they're at your window.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, wait, I saw a meme the other day, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but it was like, okay, once the aliens... I may have sent it to you. Okay. Does this sound familiar? Did I send
0: you an alien thing? I don't know if it was aliens. You sent me something the other day, and I was like, oh, that's us. Wait, no, I think you said that. It's all coming back to me. I just don't remember what it is. Okay,
2: it, it was basically like once aliens come down to Earth, we need to start um, procreating with them or like having relationships with them so that when they decide to attack us, they they already have like emotional entanglements with humans and with us so that they won't attack us. So Interesting.
0: I feels very like Shape of
2: Water-esque. Sorry, Nick, (laughs) but I might leave you for an alien.
0: Well, people, if you go into deep, deep dives on YouTube, apparently there are many aliens that look like us just slightly off in their behavior or treatment or looks and they walk among us and everyone thinks that they are human. So you might actually be... Uh, Oh my gosh. Oh, this reminds me so much of a TikTok I saw. Sorry. Uh,
2: I think we should start a new rule that every time Corinne mentions TikTok, we drink. I almost
0: deleted it yesterday because I was like, it's really taking over my life. But I was like, but I get so much good material and information and like hacks from it. I can't get rid of it. Okay. I'm going to butcher this girl's story and I don't remember her username, but it was, it came up on my For You page, obviously, (laughs) because it was an alien story. But this girl had said that she thought that she had essentially like, had sex with an alien because she had, again, I'm going to butcher the story, but the short version is she had gone out uh, with this guy that she met like on one of the dating apps. He said he was only in town for a second. Uh, He said he'd come pick her up and he was supposed to be an hour away, but it took him like a freakishly short time to get to her, even though he said he was far Mm -hmm. away. They went out, they had a good time, they slept together and she called him an Uber home or back to his hotel and since she had the Uber it like stopped halfway to his destination and she called the Uber driver to like make sure that she was charged the full amount and like asked what happened uh-huh. and he said that he dropped this guy off in the middle of a cornfield and he like ran into the cornfield and then the thing that she thinks is was freaky was that after that night she actually had no memory of it and like years later Something just happened, and suddenly, like, her memory was <gasps> triggered, and now she remembers all the details. So she was like, "Was did I sleep with an alien? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. My, my totally did. memory was, like, attempted to be wiped, and it just didn't fully work, and I just was like, this memory was, like, re-triggered, and now I have it again? Wow. What if he's back? Yeah. What if he, like, w-
2: her memory was wiped because he left Earth, and now he's back on Earth, and so when his presence is felt, she can remember again.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, Wow. I'm getting like the, <laughs> yeah, getting so, I'm being reminded of a million different movies, but oh, wow. Oh my God. Aliens. And Haley, you totally yeah. saw an alien.
2: You saw. So saw.
0: Yeah. 1000%. That's and I Yeah. I wonder if when her brother saw the alien, if it was the exact same day because the, the like burned circles in the ground appeared the same time. So maybe he was just like really young and he didn't know what happened and didn't say anything to anyone. Well, for a while. I mean, it sounds like Haley didn't say anything for a long time either, and it
2: wasn't until like years later yeah. that they all kind of put it together. That I mean, it definitely happened on the same night.
0: My God, I know. I wonder if that was just where it ended, or if something else happened and they just don't have memory. I don't know. I wonder if they'll come back Alien and encounters. they'll remember again. Okay, okay. this is called total glitch in the matrix. Sometimes the dead come back. Okay, (laughs) it's from Dawn. Hi, ladies. I love your podcast. I hope this doesn't sound too creepy, but I've dreamed about going to your live shows a few (laughs) times and getting to meet you. That's not creepy. That's not that's really sweet. That's so sweet. Like many people have said, I feel like you are two best friends that have no idea who I am. LOL. <laughs> if you decide to start doing live shows again, you should do it in Las Vegas. Ooh. I live in Utah and I don't see you doing one here. So I'll happily travel to Vegas. <laughs> I love it. Just pick your destination and then encourage us to go yeah. there. A little vacation. And then she writes, any hoozle. <laughs> I could have sworn I sent you an email of this story at least six months or more ago. But today I've decided I wanted to reread the emails I sent you and could only find one. I know I sent more. This is a story that I think you might read. It is true and it is very touching. I've changed the names out of the privacy of the still living cousins. My mom only has one brother, Jim. Jim and his family lived in a small town near the small town that I grew up in. My uncle had a farm and one day he and his two boys, Bill and Brandon, were out moving sprinkler lines. These sprinklers are not like moving a hose or a sprinkler in your yard. They are made of 30-foot pipes, and you have to move about 40 feet at a time back and forth in a field. Oh, my gosh. I had to do this every morning in the summer growing up, and I hated it. I'm allergic to the grass in the fields, so I had to wear my dad's super tall rubber muck boots. Luckily, I didn't have neighbors close, so I didn't have to worry about anyone seeing me in my (laughs) PJs and my muck boots. Okay, back to the story. My uncle and his sons were moving sprinklers in the field behind their house, and they noticed that one of the pipes was plugged. So they stood it up on its end to give it a few hard bangs on the ground to hopefully remove the clog. What they didn't think about was the power lines running above them in the field. When they put the pipe in the air, it touched the power line and it sent a bolt of electricity through the pipe into my uncle and my cousins. Oh my gosh. When my uncle regained consciousness, he found my cousin Bill had fallen over onto the pipe and he was dead. My uncle moved as quickly as he could to get some water to put out the fire, and he found his other son, Brandon. Brandon had been thrown about 100 feet across the field into the ditch and had also died.
2: Oh my gosh.
0: My uncle then made his way to the house and called for an ambulance. They took my uncle to the hospital and they ran some tests. The results of this test showed that my uncle had some internal damage from being electrocuted and indicated that his heart had actually stopped for about a half hour. What? He'd been dead for at least... A half hour, and he'd come back on his own. Wow. My aunt worked with a lady who had a dream the night after the deaths. She dreamt that she saw the spirits of my uncle and cousins outside of their bodies in the field, and they began to walk off toward heaven when both of my cousins turned back to their dad and told him that their mom and their younger brother needed him and it wasn't his time to go. Whoa. Oh my gosh, it chills. I believe the dream was true. The crazy thing is that my uncle was only permitted to stay long enough to help my aunt and my younger cousin get through the loss as just a year later, he was killed in a freak mining accident at a coal mine that he worked at. Oh my gosh. As you can guess, it's been very hard on my aunt and my cousins to have so many of their family die in such a short period of time. It was also hard to watch their grief, but I know my cousins have checked in with their family as Bill has been heard playing a little ditty on the piano One that he used to always play when he came into the house to let his mom know that he was there. To my cousin Brandon showing my uncle where the title of his car was hidden when he was trying to take care of his affairs. Whoa. I believe our loved ones who have passed stay close to us. I like to think that they are on some great tropical vacation on an island with no cell service. Keep up the good work, ladies, and I will see you on the other side, if not before. Dawn.
2: Wow. That is not where I thought this story was going. And I am so sorry, Don, for those horrible, tragic deaths. I know. Deaths. I mean, I can't.
0: It's horrifying. Uh, it's, and so uh, like unexpected and freak. It's a freak accident. It's a freak accident. And it's a good reminder to take electricity seriously and to be looking out on your surroundings because this could happen to anyone because it's such a, it's such a simple thing to do that you're not even thinking about. And, Unfortunately, it resulted in two people's death and a near death. But I think it's just so crazy that the 30 minutes, that he'd been dead for 30 minutes and he came back. 30 minutes. Like that, the oxygen to your brain. Like there should be some serious damage. You shouldn't be able to just come back and live the life that you lived like you previously had before the accident. Like there should be some serious changes to your mental and physical mobility.
2: And it's not like he died from like after – effects of this accident he died in another freak accident which is awful yeah. but like i'm i'm assuming that for that year he kind of was like living normally which is i know scientifically i am pretty sure I mean, i'm not a doctor but like a half hour of no blood pumping from your heart to your brain or like through your body i think is almost scientifically impossible it is miraculous I,
0: wouldn't like rigor mortis have already set yeah. in at that
2: point i mean I say, yeah, but I have no <laughs> knowledge I don't to really know back either. it up. But I,
0: it sounds right. It sounds right. Yeah, Whoa. it's wild. And I, I understand her title to Glitch in the Matrix, because it almost makes you think that like on another timeline, like th- something happened and somehow he was rewound in time and was able to like wake up alive or like was fast forwarded yes. because the 30 minutes just don't make sense. You know, it does seem like there was a blip, like he got electrocuted, Ugh. he woke up. Somehow 30 minutes had passed, but his body had only responded like a couple of minutes had or something like Whoa. that. I don't know, but my God. And then it, re- it also reminds me of Final Destination, you know? Oh, I know. Like, I thought that too. Yeah. He was supposed to go and it didn't mean that he wasn't going to go. It just meant that the universe was allowing him some time to do what was best for those who are experiencing right. the loss of Ugh. these two other people. I
2: wonder if he had any recollection of that moment, you know? You know, people talk about near death experiences and like what they see, and and many somehow mm-hmm. see Elvis. But I wonder what he saw in that moment because this neighbor had that dream, you know, of all three of them walking towards the light, and the cousin saying, "No, no, no, you need to stay." And I wonder if he yeah. has any memory of
0: it, or or had. I, I don't know. It's wow, so sad. It also makes me wonder about the amount of clarity you have when passing over, because the fact that the the her cousins the the sons of this man of her uncle who had lived the fact that they were able to after having died in a freak accident which you could assume would cause a lot of confusion in your spirit astral form Mm -hmm. the fact that they had enough clarity to be like no here's what's to come here are the repercussions of this and the grief that's to come and you need to actually take on this whole other role yeah i feel like that's that's amazing I mean, I don't know what happens, obviously, in the afterlife. I have not had a near-death experience, and I don't remember anything from before I was born in this body. Right. But. Whoa. It makes me think it's suddenly like you're just flooded with all of this knowledge and knowing. Maybe.
2: Maybe one day we'll find out. Maybe. Or maybe
0: we'll live forever.
2: Or maybe we'll reproduce with aliens and have magical juices pumped into our veins and never die.
0: <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> So, basically I want to be a worm making my way through the dirt underneath a beautiful apple tree. Oh, I just want to be a cat. Okay. Well, maybe
2: you will be. If we have a choice, you could totally come back. I've like definitely that. been a cat in a past life. Like all of my habits in this life are are cat like. So, <laughs> um, okay. I have a story to wrap us up. It is called My Dad is Still Dadding Me from the Other Side, and it is from Callie. Happy New Year, Ghostesses, Nick and Leia. The experience I'm sharing today is still very fresh and it gives me chills every time I think about it. So here we go. My dad passed away in May of 2019. He had been battling cancer off and on for five years, so it didn't necessarily come as a huge shock, but it was still far more sudden than anyone had anticipated. It's not always easy to cope, but the sun keeps rising and eventually you find your new normal. Allow me to backtrack a little. My dad was a mechanic and a very good one at that. So he did 90% of the work on my vehicle. I drive an older car, but it runs like a champ with basic upkeep and maintenance. And because it's older, it has a tendency to eat oil, and my dad would occasionally send me text messages reminding me to top it off between oil changes. A few months ago, I was leaving my boyfriend's house early in the morning. I got in my car and unlocked my phone, and sitting open on the screen was a text message from my dad. It read, "'Hey, princess, thinking about you. "'Have you put oil in your car lately?' My jaw dropped. He had already been gone for four months. I hadn't opened our text thread since he had passed, so I have no idea why it would have just been sitting in the center of the screen like that. After the initial shock wore off, I checked my oil. It was barely visible on the dipstick, so I promptly topped it off, chuckling to myself with a little, Thanks, Dad. This brings me to last Friday. I had left my phone in my boyfriend's car when he dropped me off that evening, and he had an all-day catering event out of town the next morning. I had pre-existing plans to go on a fancy girls' night with my best friend that day, so I needed to be able to communicate with her. Begrudgingly, I began to make the 30-minute trek across town to retrieve my phone. The quickest way over there is a spooky country road, and this particular night was foggy. I'm not talking wispy fog. This was straight-up can't-see-10-feet-ahead Stephen King's The Mist fog. I don't have the best night vision, but I made it up there, grabbed my phone, and started back home. The fog was worse now, and I could barely see the lanes. As I drove, I came up on a pair of tail headlights ahead of me. They gave me something to focus on and guided me through the fog until I was about five minutes from home. I came to a stoplight and pulled up next to this other car, and I glanced over, and there he was. Clear as day, I saw my dad smiling at me from the driver's seat. He waved, and I blinked hard because I could not believe what I was seeing. Oh my god. When I reopened my eyes, both my dad and the other car were gone i pulled over and sobbed until i couldn't cry anymore thoroughly spooked and still shaking i called my best friends caitlin and jordan and they both reassured me that it was just my dad checking in to make sure i was safe and to let me know that i was doing all right huge shout out to both of them by the way because they're also tgog fans and this is a pyramid scheme and we recruit in this house it's a really (laughs) good feeling to know that he's still looking out for me and knowing that wherever he's at he's doing all right Anyway, that's my heartwarming daddy-daughter story. I hope this made you smile like it does me. Keep up the amazing podcast. It means so much to so many people. See you on the other side or maybe even at a stoplight. Who freaking knows? Callie. Wow.
0: Oh, my gosh. I love that. (laughs) He's still doing his dad duties of helping her out with her car Mm -hmm. and, like, through scary nights and drives and... The fact that like this car oh. appeared
2: down the road and like gave her something to focus on to make it through the scary fog on this like back road.
0: I know. And then
2: to stop at them next to a light, see her dad smiling at her, blink, and then all of a sudden the car car and her dad is gone. Like that is it makes me want to cry.
0: Ugh, magical. Because the amount of energy it must have taken him to to be with her for that long ugh. in this car in this fog yeah. and like guide her out and the fact that he was just smiling so much too it wasn't even just like a little recognition and nod it was like you just like loved her oh my gosh i'm gonna start
2: crying oh he's uh. your guardian tearing up oh it's so sweet and the text to check her oil oh, my God. wow oh uh, it's beautiful it's, like breaks me in the best way i know <laughs> uh. Ghost stories are so heartwarming. I mean or scary, but this one was beautiful. This one was beautiful. Wow. Wow. Well please send us your ghost stories. Email them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. You can uh Make us go through a roller coaster of emotions as we did in this episode. So uh, yeah, make us cry, make us laugh, make us scared. Just send us all of your stories. I don't know. Did you reproduce with an alien? Let us know.
0: Let us know. And join join the pyramid scheme. It's effective. Get your whole household. (laughs) Or if you're like our listener, Julia, who I chatted with recently, she got her entire sorority to listen. So help us out, guys. Join the pyramid scheme and tell everybody word of mouth. Julia, Julia and the sisters. Wow. So, still, so, stop. So. Yeah, get everyone. Word of mouth. It's powerful. And also reading and reviewing on iTunes. Yes, please do. And
2: join us on social media. We have Facebook. We have a Facebook group. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. Uh, just join along. Join the pyramid. Um, <laughs> thank you to Brooke Foster and Eric Foster at UpFire Digital and your whole team. Thank you for editing our podcast. We're very, very grateful for you. And we will see you.